to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're back with another Women's World Cup group preview. We have now moved on to Group B. So this one, this episode is going to be a little bit different because obviously this is the group we're in. So we don't really want to talk about it in general terms. We want to get to know our opponents. So we're very lucky. We will be having guests from each of our group opponents join us on the pod to talk about that team, to talk about the game and just have a grand old chat about everything that is happening in Group B. So first up, we will be talking about the Republic of Ireland. So that's our opening game in Sydney on July 20th. That felt so weird to say, but it's very exciting. We can't wait. But before we crack into all of that chat, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For this Irish section of the pod, you have me, Marissa Lodanik, Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington, Angela Christian-Wilkes, and friend of the pod and host of the Gig podcast, Kathleen McNamee. So Kathleen, first of all, welcome back. We're stoked to see you. Thanks, guys. It's been a while since I was last on, so this is fun. I'm very happy to be back. I'm very happy that I'm talking about Ireland going to a World Cup. That's probably the bit I'm happiest about. (laughs) I can imagine that's a really fun thing to talk about when you've never done it before. So that's a really great opening question. What are kind of the realistic expectations for Ireland at their debut Women's World Cup? This is something that we've been talking about on the Koi Gig podcast for like months now as into what's our realistic expectations and what's our like expectations with our slight green glasses on. I think if we could get out of the group realistically with like a draw or a win behind us, we would be very, very happy. And if we can do better than that, that would be a lot for us. Um, I think a lot of people especially this group has is quite an experienced group and has been trying this for so long and we had the massive disappointment of not making the euros that we just want them to go out there and not get annihilated and I don't think they will because I think Vera Powell has brought this team to a level that we haven't really seen before um, and obviously she brought new players in and she's changed up the systems a little bit so yeah I mean, it's just so hard to know because, like, obviously we played Australia in a friendly here in Tala and in Dublin where I'm at the moment. And it was a completely different situation as to what it's going to be like playing you guys opening day, 80,000 people. Um, You know, sometimes people talk to me about it and they're like, how are you going to feel when you hear the national anthem blare out? And obviously there's a lot of Irish people have got tickets, so we're expecting, like, really good support there on the day. And like, I feel like crying just thinking about it. Never mind how I'm going to be in the press box. So if you guys see me there, just like, give me a moment. Just like, don't pay attention to me. But I, I think if we can get a result against one or two teams, whether that's a draw or a win, people will be pretty happy here. I mean, I was going to say, I don't remember a friendly against Ireland in recent memory. No reason to remember one. Can't think of why. <laughs> uh, We've all repressed it. I don't want to say anything, but Sam said we couldn't have you on until she'd processed that result fully. Sam and I were the only two journos on Tony Christensen's post-match Zoom after that. And it was like the flattest like I've ever seen him and maybe the flattest we've ever been. It was like seven in the morning after that match had finished or something like, or six in the morning or something awful, wasn't it, Sam? And like they were just like... It was just so bad. Like, basically, like, Gustafson was like, they wanted it more. And he may as well have just said, we were shit and we weren't up for it. It was Sam Kerr's 100th game and we didn't show up and we were terrible. And uh, most of her best friends weren't even playing that day. Like, it was just 
all bad. It was like Chloe Legado did her knee. Um, Angie Beers played that game, game and now she's going to the World Cup with the Philippines. Like, so <laughs> I, was like looking, I was looking at the squad from this game and there's just so many, like there's few, obviously plenty of players that will be at the World Cup, but it was like there was a back three happening. <laughs> it was just like... Yeah, that's insane. the thing. Like, I mean, that how much do you guys here? read into it? Um, was going to be my question, Kathleen, because it would have been a huge result for you guys. For us, we kind of try and write it off, but yeah, I imagine you guys have to take some sort of like confidence out of it, right? Because you did score some good goals. Well, like that game is always pointed to as like the game that kind of started the revolution for this team because it was a big win, and like there was plenty of us like say particularly me because I worked in the WSL and I've probably followed the international women's football scene a lot more than maybe people who are just coming to reporting on it here like I knew looking at that Australia team I was like okay it's a good result but also you know we're not playing them at their best but I think because there was that perception that beating you guys at the time was such a big deal that didn't almost matter and like we had been on such a bad streak at that stage that that was really the game where everyone was like oh okay we can kind of see what Vera the Pau is trying to do here and some of our players are playing quite well and then from there we kind of like bounced um so yeah it's funny looking back on it now how many of the players bring that match up as the one that they felt created a mentality shift within the team even if it wasn't playing Australia at full strength at the time you're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. I mean, what are you? <laughs> Glad we could do that for you. <laughs> so long as it doesn't so mean that we beat you so on the opening day, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, you talk about what you what that's um, how that sort of kick started things. Like, what what did it actually do, Kathleen? I imagine there's that boost of confidence. There's that a few players showing they belong to the big stage. When you go to that. That turning point was almost a couple of years ago now. It's, uh, oh, yeah, September 2021. Like, at what point, like, how did it change things, I guess? Was it a belief thing or something else? I think it was just that belief thing and also we'd really struggled to get scores. Like, that's this has always been a problem in Irish football, whether you're talking about the men's or the women's team. It's actually getting goals and getting scores on the sheet, we really struggle with that. We do great defending and we rely then on like a Katie McCabe free kick or Louise Quinn header. And you can say the, you basically just take the names out and put the men's names in and it's the exact same thing. And I think that game probably showed us that, okay, we, if we set up right, we can actually get our scores and perform. And I think then it was the mentality aspect of that as well, because that team was quite, beaten down at that stage in terms of where like well for once they were beaten down by like the football side of things rather than the actual like general hierarchy situation which they had solved um five years ago now when the players went on strike and I think it was the first time that the team kind of said okay all that stuff is behind us we are on an equal footing with the FAI now all we have to do is concentrate on the football and if we don't do that and if we don't get the results what like what's the point so that's why um I think from then on they and from what I've heard from like the players I've talked to they just said that there was a mentality switch within the group and the group said we know who our top players are like Irish 11s don't change massively much if anything the 11 has actually changed a lot more since we qualified for the World Cup and that game against Scotland Vera Powell's probably changed things up more than 
it has in the last couple of years. Um, but at that stage, we were like, we know what our setup is. We know the football we like to play. How can we tweak it slightly so that we get more goals? And what's the feeling over there, Kathleen, in terms of support for the women's team? Because I can imagine that qualifying for the Women's World Cup for the first time would have attracted probably a whole new wave of fans to the women's national team who maybe hadn't paid very much attention to them before. How have you sort of seen that shift over the last couple of years? Yeah, it's been really interesting. I think it kind of probably started more with the WSL starting to get more attention and the fact that, you know, if you wanted to watch like Katie McCabe or Rusha or whoever it was, once those games were actually starting to be broadcast every weekend on the television or like there was the highlight show as well, that for me was kind of when it actually really started. And then by the time the World Cup qualification was kind of heating up for us, people were like, oh yeah, I watched Katie play at the weekend just past and she was playing in this position. Why is she playing in a different position for the Irish squad? And it's all kind of snowballed a little bit. I know we talk about it in women's sport a lot about that snowball effect, but I think that really has changed things. And also we started um, our domestic league. They started showing more of that on domestic television here, kind of around the same time the WSL was being broadcast on Sky Sports here. Um, so that also helped as well in terms of the homegrown players and how many of those people we're seeing. But uh, yeah, that game, I think it, it's weird because around the games, I always think there's a lot of interest and people are like, wow, we should talk about the team more. And then in those little in-betweeny times, sometimes they can fall away. Um, so even say the this weekend, the men's side were playing in Euro qualifiers against Greece and Gibraltar on Friday and last night. And I know like the coverage for that will be probably more over the last couple of days than the fact that like the women are off to a World Cup in what's it now, 30 days, 31 days. Um so it it just depends on the situation. But I mean I watched the um Scotland playoff because I wasn't working it I watched it with my friend in a bar in Dublin and it was a specific watch party and like the atmosphere was insane like by the end everyone was just crying I feel like I'm making myself like I cry a lot at these sort of things but it's only when I really care I don't when I really care uh, and I wouldn't be ashamed you like <laughs> your company and hear a shocking yeah <laughs> they don't worry there's been a lot of tears here don't worry yeah yeah and like there was a whole thing when we played Finland and Tala which again was like a really important qualifier for us to get to the playoffs there was like five six hundred seats which weren't full which was like very very noticeable in Tala even though it was a sold out event so it was obviously teams or something that were getting tickets and not turning up so I think we're still a bit of a way towards getting the product to a place where like people are paying for tickets. It's a valued service. You know, it's a kind of like what Arsenal have done with the Emirates this year in terms of the Champions League, how they're actually putting a value on it. So people are turning up in their droves because shockingly, it's actually a good product and people will pay to see it. Um but I really hope that the World Cup, and especially we're quite fortunate with the timings for the World Cup here. So most of the games, are, I think, are between like 11 and 1, 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. So while it's not like, you know, go to the bar with your mates and maybe have that sort of social situation where people might oh, not have an interest. Not. But... 
You're ruining Nolan's no, so entire reputation with one false <laughs> Kathleen. You meant to I be mean, like I, I, the pub. Country. I wouldn't judge anyone. I've gone to watch British and Irish Lions tours that have been on in Australia in a bar when it's like eleven o'clock in the morning. So like maybe maybe they will do that as well. Um, but we're quite for at least it's not like there was a. I was really worried it was going to be like three a.m. and I was like, oh, it's our first one. We need to really you know push this and make sure that it's seen. And to be fair to the FAI, they've done quite a lot of work at like pushing clubs to host because it's like summer here for our schools. So they're like pushing clubs to host viewing parties as well and obviously parents love that because they're like get rid of the kids for like two three hours and yeah they have like free babysitting great idea for all parties involved um so yeah I think the the next few months will really tell a tale of how much the country gets on board but if I know one thing about Ireland it's like no matter how interested someone is in a sport we are a country that loves to get behind a team if they're doing well or if they're performing on a big stage. Like the Irish women's hockey team went all the way to the World Cup final a couple of years ago. Everyone was all of a sudden, we're like, hockey is our national sport. We love it. And then no one talked about hockey again. So what I'm hoping is that we get that sort of reaction for people who don't watch the women's team all the time, but then they don't forget about us when we come back, which hopefully they won't. So they have a big game planned in the Aviva in September, October, I think, which will be the first time the team ever play at the national stadium. So that should be pretty cool. My question was about kind of the, the rhythm of this qualification process for the World Cup. Because for Australia and for the AFC, like it's kind of wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like you have to just get through to the semifinals of the Asian Cup. Whereas in UEFA, it's quite an extended process. So that Australia game was just before you started the process of qualifying, like the group stage process of qualifying for the World Cup. So I'm interested in, first of all, if you think that kind of on the media side of things helps or hinders, because you've got more competitive games happening more regularly, but I guess there's a little bit less weight behind them. Um, and the other side of the question is like, as a fan and a follower, what would you prefer? Would you prefer the Band-Aid to kind of be ripped off in with that tournament format? Or do you like having that many competitive games spread out across a, a you know substantial amount of time? I think I probably prefer having the like competitive games over a substantial amount of time particularly because of like where Ireland are at the moment in their like football development so like we're as a squad it's still quite important for us that we're getting a lot of competitive games especially maybe for the players who are playing at championship level over in England uh, we have very few players that play in mainland Europe at the moment um, they're mostly over in England or else they're playing domestically in Ireland in like a semi-pro league I say semi-pro it's Kind of a title they put on it at the moment they wouldn't even give it that sort of level uh but hopefully they will get there someday um so i think for us it's probably a good thing to have as many games as possible like obviously we have the nation's league now as well and that's a bit of a messy situation just because of the group we're in we probably would want to be in a bit of a higher group than what we are but i mean for us the there was nothing certain about the qualification like it was quite a tough group for us and we didn't really go into it with a massive amount of expectation that we would qualify out the other side and again I maybe thought that there was it went a little bit too far in terms of the mini tournament that happened in January after we had our 
playoffs as well I was like okay we're, we're really like elongating this if we get to go there but I think as a nation who's never made it to a major tournament before on the women's side it was uh to have so many opportunities and know that there was always going to be a chance we could come back was quite enjoyable at the time it took like a little bit less of the stress out I'm not gonna say a lot but like a little bit less of it um and yeah, I think the opportunity to play lots of different teams and lots of different styles definitely suited us in the long run. Um, Vera Powell has talked quite a lot in the last few months since we qualified against Scotland about the opposition that she's picked for us for friendly games and how every single opposition is like very carefully planned out so that Ireland have faced as many different types of football and as many different, like as many relevant types of football to the teams we're going to face in our group as well so that it comes as less of a shock and you can see that in the opposition she's picked I mean we play Zambia this week we have France before we fly off to the World Cup we're going to play Colombia while we're over there Um, we played China in Marbella a couple of months ago we also played Germany over there uh, which was a behind closed doors match but uh, apparently we got fairly hammered in that one so you know like that's quite a wide breadth of different sorts of teams so I think there's definitely something to be said for player welfare and the fact that like players need to be looked after and obviously longer qualification uh, in the run-up to tournaments and the fact we're adding more competitions more and more to the women's game. All of that definitely has to be looked at from a side because you don't want the... Well, we see the crisis we already have in terms of injuries in the game, but you don't want that getting more and more exacerbated. But I think... In terms of the process we went through, it probably suited us in the long term. And that's not just because we came out the other side and qualified. <laughs> when do your players go into camp, Kathleen? Because we saw there's a lot of toing and froing over in England with the um, the FA versus the clubs. And I know you've only got a few players in the WSL, but when do your players go into camp? And I guess in that case, were there any dramas in terms of getting players released or anything like that? Yes, the main player of concern, I think, think that I heard of was actually Katie because uh, a lot of the players play in the championships that they'd finished up already they actually had quite a few weeks before going into camp Vera Powell announced her provisional squad not last Friday the Friday before that and then they went into camp the following Monday but players are they're Vera and the Ireland's like management team are doing this thing called periodization so because the fact that everyone is coming in at different times there's different programs set up for everyone depending on when they finish playing what time they're coming into camp and what they need so initially we were told say the NWSL is still ongoing at the moment that the four girls that play over in the states wouldn't be involved in this provisional squad at all they were named in the squad but they're not actually now arriving until I think the day that the squad is announced the actual squad that will travel on the 29th um like Katie was named in the squad but she only joined the camp yesterday officially she was at a couple of different things with the team over the weekend I think she came back to Ireland around Thursday or Friday but that was you know she was with her family at that time um and then say Diane Caldwell one of our defenders she got married last weekend in Greece so she had a week before she joined up with the squad and only came to them on Thursday or Friday so it's been a bit of toing and froing, um, but Vera and the rest of the management team seem to have a very clear plan about it. We had the issue with Katie, and at the time, what they the FAI said was that they had written to 
FIFA, the Europeans Clubs Association, and also Arsenal. And then we're obviously in conversation with the player as well. Um, and that at the end of the day, the decision was going to kind of fall between the player, the club association, FIFA and the club more so than them. But they had to like write to the club with a full layout of what they wanted to do and say like, you know, we're not going to bring her in and run her ragged. Vera was always very strong on that, that she didn't want that for any of her players. So I don't think there was the same sort of issues that there were with the England squad, which just sounded very chaotic. I mean, I can't imagine being in a WhatsApp group and someone being like, thumbs up if you want to go to the World Cup. <laughs> it was just like blew my mind. It's like trying to make plans to go to a restaurant with your friends and they're like, thumbs up if you want to go to this one, thumbs up if you want to go to that one. Like imagine you were the one person in that squad who was feeling the season a bit and didn't want to join at that time. And you thumbs it down. Or you accidentally thumbs it down and then changed it. And Vigman saw it and she was like, oh, does she actually want to come in? Oh, no. Couldn't deal with that. But I, I don't think there was any of that sort of stuff here. Great reporting as Imagine well. Hitting... That was like solid reporting by the Athletic and that. Imagine hitting like just a totally random emoji like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and taking the piss out of Serena's very serious uh, selection policy. Or just like a really ambiguous emoji as well, like the cowboy hat. And Mike was like, what does that mean? Like, is that a yes or a no? I don't understand. Or the melting face one. And she's like, what? Yeah. Oh, she must really be feeling it. Um, um, Kathleen, what's the, I guess, the public, um, maybe the general sentiment been around Vera as the coach? Because obviously she's got these fantastic results for you, but she does have that, um, that sort of history in the NWSL with Houston and, I mean, even in some of her island presses, she's had to rebut things and talk about her history in the NWSL. Um, how has that sort of sat, um, I guess, with the media over there, football fans over there that, um, yeah, that um, she does have that history? It's been an interesting one. I mean, initially when it came out, I think a lot of people were shocked here because not a lot of people probably would have followed the stuff that was happening in the NWSL at the time. Um, And Vera came out straight away and she has been very much like, I don't want to say on the attack is like the wrong phrase, but she hasn't like stood down from anything and she has like faced the media about it several times over. Um. And like she's put her lawyer that she's working with at the moment in front of people as well to talk to the media. I think that there, I think because of the way the report was written as well, the accusations that were leveled against her and the ones that were like straight side by side, like in the next sentence over, it can it possibly in people's minds they were like, oh well that's not as big deal as that so what what's going on what what is actually happening here and what she being accused of um and to be honest it's kind of like we still talk about it in the media because we'll ask questions or like she'll give us updates on what's happening on her side but in terms of like a general population view I don't think it comes across people's minds all that much every so often people I will get questions from people being like oh what happened to that like it didn't seem to like and then they didn't go anywhere and then I suppose when Sinead Farley came into the squad as well that really threw the captain on the pigeons because everyone was like well she was one of the main whistleblowers of everything that happened so and she's obviously had conversations with Vera and that's not to say that 
you know, their conversations are entirely different to whatever was reported on. Um, and Vera's also been very strong on the fact that like the report didn't properly take in what she wanted to say or how how she conducted herself. I did think it was strange that they did, they kind of, in the report for everyone, that they just took sentences of what people had said and there wasn't like full transcripts of, you know, everyone's responses and replies, but that's a different story. So yeah, it's, I would say, especially with the qualification, it hasn't come up as much and I think it disappeared a lot quicker than I expected it to. I expected it to be, you know, this is massive. Is she going to step down? Is she not going to step down? But straight away, the FAI backed her. Players backed her. She came out very strongly and said, this isn't true. I mean, she won. Ortiz, our like, main broadcaster in Ireland, she won like Coach of the Year, I think, the next day after that report came out. So it was like almost straight away, people weren't paying attention to it, rightly or wrongly. So it's been a it's been a strange one. It's been a conflicting one as well to cover because, you know, I I don't think I think that report was really, really important. And I covered quite a lot of that stuff when I was with ESPN. You know, I used to stay up until two, three o'clock in the morning to watch the press conferences when all the stories started to break. And it's yeah, it's been a interesting one. And I think it will be interesting how history looks back on it. Can we ask about selection? Um, there's some fascinating names in the mix. Um, Sinead Farley, Aoife Mannion, I think are a couple that really stand out. There's a few really interesting stories in this island team. I think Sinead's probably the one that's captured the imagination of a lot of people because of she obviously played such a, a prominent role in that, um, the Portland Thorns saga as well. Like, how's that come about? And you said off air to us before, it sounds like she's like well and truly going to be on that plane after such a short you know, introduction to this team. Yeah, it's been an interesting like eight or nine months on that front, especially with like I, I would talk to a lot of the players who have played with the squad for years and you kind of ask them, you know, how do you feel about these? You know, we've just qualified for a World Cup. There's like three or four, maybe five different players that Vera has tested out in the squad over the last couple of months um, that have never even been on the radar before. I mean, that's Sinead Farrelly news. I remember, I think I was out somewhere at the time because of whatever the time difference was and I got a message from one of my friends and it was just like Sinead Farley and like three question marks and I was like I really don't know what you're asking me and she sent me like a screenshot saying like she was in the squad and I was like what I mean because I all most of what I knew from of her came from obviously her incredibly brave decision to come forward and um, yeah she played in those games when we went over to the states and I think she really really impressed and Vera really changed up her system for those games and changed up where players played in a way that a lot of us who have followed the team for a long time have been calling for so there's a lot of frustration here that Katie McCabe has always like played in a defensive role because if we were going to get goals she's probably one of the more likely ones and I think that frustration, we don't mind if we play like a top tier nation and we're like, okay, yes, we need to, you know, we need a, our strongest defenders in that position. But if we're playing some of the lower teams, there's always been that question of like, well, we should beat them anyways. Why not try her in a different position or try a lot of the time we play like one up front and it's Kira Carusa who, or sorry, not Kira Carusa, Heather Payne, who is an incredible runner, like has some speed on her, but maybe doesn't always have the finishes. And a lot of the time is isolated because we're just hoofing balls up there. 
And then what we saw when we were over in the States was she switched up the systems so that Kira Caruso went up front, Heather Payne switched to the wing, which suited her way better because, again, great runner. And she could actually, like, takes the ball with her despite how fast she is going, which is something Irish players haven't always done. Um, And then Katie and Denise kind of providing that support behind and it was quite effective. We didn't get the results that we wanted, but like we were we were close and probably a lot closer than a lot of people expected those games to go. And Sinead Farley slipped into that system really, really well. Um, so, yeah, I think it, I was actually talking to some people about this yesterday because I was around um, near the stadium where the men's match was happening. And I think most people here who follow it would probably say there's a pretty set eleven. But then after that, for the rest of the squad, it could be anyone's game, really. You know, there are a few names you're like, okay, yeah, they're most likely, but it's really, really hard to pick. I've been doing power rankings, not for Koi Gig, but for the other radio show that I work for off the ball of, you know, who would be in my squad for the last couple of months, kind of after every international break or if something big happens. And um, yeah. Like they asked me for my reasoning of like dropping one player and adding another player in. And I'm like, it's just a feeling, guys. Like that's what so many of us are relying on at the moment because so many of those players are quite close. Um, Aoife Mannion, you mentioned as well. I mean, every, she's only played a couple of times for Ireland as well, but we're literally all on our hands and knees praying she's going to be fit for um the World Cup. We're not so sure how things are going. So we were told that last Monday she was going for a scan on an issue with her knee. Mark Skinner had originally said it was not a structural issue, that it was like just something that needed a bit of time. And then we were briefed on it again at Friday at an open training session for um, the women's team. And they said, we were like, so what came out of the scan? And they were like, oh, nothing scary. She just needs time. And we were like, well, you know needs time and like she needs a week or two or is she only going to come in at the Canada stage or even the Nigeria stage because she was she played one game she played that China game and everyone was like yeah definitely going to start in our team we do not have a player that plays like her so very very quickly she has become pretty integral to that squad and I a lot of us have the impression that the injury is maybe a bit more serious than the FAI in Ireland are letting on, but even if that is the case, we reckon that she might still be on the plane if there's a hope that she'll be fit for even some of the later games, if not that first one against Australia. So, yeah. Which I'm sure you guys are delighted to hear that one of our best players may or may not <laughs> be there for that opening I hope game. He is absolute, I hope you are all absolutely flying, as our good friend of the pub, Ben Mackay, said. hope you all are doing well and flying and everyone is well and happy after July 21. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) on the topic of players Kathleen like folks who are listening to this podcast are largely Aussies and they're familiar with a handful of names Katie McCabe we've mentioned her a whole bunch of times already Denise O'Sullivan played down here in the W League for a couple of seasons so we all know how fantastic she is but for people who maybe aren't as familiar with the Irish squad who are some other players who you think we should be keeping an eye on um, I think Courtney Brosnan, our goalkeeper, is a really interesting story because goalkeeping in Ireland, once Emma Byrne left, was really, really poor. And Courtney in particular had some whopper mistakes. It was a case where like the ball would go near her and you would like 
want to hide behind your couch and I've said this a lot and I've interviewed Courtney a lot and she kind of laughs about it when you say it to her she's like I I can't blame you for that (laughs) because it wasn't good and you know she was playing with Everton and she wasn't starting regularly but she just put on so much personal work and like has really become one of the stalwart players in the team and like she won like player of the year this year for us because she has been such a solid solid player and one that we've really come to rely on even though she's not playing regular football at her club um so yeah she she's become integral to that defense I think Heather Payne is a really exciting player for the future and also we talked a bit about Kira Carusa as well Kira has always been like a little bit on the edge of the team which I've never understood because she was one of our few players that went to Europe and you know she used to do such like she'd be scoring more goals than a lot of our other players would be and I never understood why she wasn't starting in a more forward position and like a lot of the time she'd just be coming off the bench after like an hour or 70 minutes um whereas I think now that Vera's found this new system I hope she's going to get more of a chance to show how good she is and yeah I mean there's so this this is the thing about this squad like I think because the there's been such a small group of us following them for so long and we're a small country anyways you kind of do have a lot of ties to them uh, a player I'd really love to see going and I'm not sure if she will be on the plane because she spent most of the season injured is Leanne Kiernan too who plays at Liverpool um, top scorer in the championship the season before the one just gone helped them qualify and then got a she's been so unlucky with injuries got an injury early stages of this season and just had so many setbacks only played I think less than a half of football um, in the last couple of games uh, but I was chatting to her on Friday as well she they played like a little 11 v 11 at the open training session which was interesting and she was the only one that scored so again a player who I hope is coming back uh, and then you have like our veteran defenders so there's Nifahi captain of Liverpool um she's also uh all-ireland winner here in GAA so she played Gaelic football and so did a lot of her brothers and her cousins and the all-ireland is like the big thing to win here you know you can win all the international tournaments you want you could win a world cup and it would not matter if you didn't list an all-ireland trophy that's kind of how a lot of people see it even though it's an amateur sport um so yeah, she's won one of those. You got Louise Quinn, who has been there for so long. They are like the pillars at the back. And Louise has dragged us through many, many games. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting players in there. I would say that maybe some of our younger players are still a bit too young to be making an impression. Like this is very much a squad of experienced players, more so than it is with some like younger, exciting talent coming up. I feel bad when I say that because I'm like, I'm the same age as Katie McCabe and I'm calling her old. Like, but... <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen, how big is this tournament in terms of putting women's football, like not just on the map, but making it the sport that girls want to play? Like we've both spoken to Sarah Rowe before who obviously pulled the pin on football as a um, youth international to, to play Gaelic and is obviously a superstar in that. Then she came to the AFL and only recently went, went back to football but clearly it was the case for a lot of players with it even being an amateur sport, there was more in it for them financially. There was more in it for them profile-wise to play Gaelic or to play something else. Um, like how important is this in terms of striking a few blows back and getting – because there's clearly talented athletes in Ireland. We know that. But getting more of them over to – yeah, over to football. 
Yeah, it's really important. It's funny you mentioned Sarah Rose. She's actually, so there's like three players that are kind of in and around the squad at the moment. And she's actually one of them, um, which a lot of people here didn't expect to happen when she made the switch back again. Even though I was like, well, she has been playing at an international level in terms of like playing a sport that's properly rather than amateur. But um, I think for putting it on the map, I think what I keep seeing is that, you know, you, I I assume it's probably similar enough with you guys because we've seen the same thing in England. But like when you go to games, the profile is a lot younger than maybe other, like if you go to a men's game and you see the girls and how excited they are and like they're immediately they're asking like whoever has brought them along can they can they just like go on the pitch and kick a ball and that's the thing about like when you're a kid you just see someone doing something and you're like that's cool that's on tv I want to do that and even if you like play it for a couple of years and then you stop or if it's just something that like entered like for me it's not I I get asked this question a lot and I'm like for me like yes okay you want to find your next superstar footballer but you also just want girls to be able to feel like they can play football and that's a place for them to enjoy themselves and I was like if the legacy of this tournament is that after say every Irish game a couple of hundred girls or a couple of thousand girls are running out into their backyard and like grabbing a football or calling their mates and being like let's go have some fun then for me, that's what it should be. And I really hope that the FAI, like our football federation here, take that by the horns and provide the opportunities. They seem to be so far, to be fair. But like that means, you know, we need facilities, we need clubs set up, we need more and more people volunteering. And I hope that people will, that'll all be a chain reaction from people seeing how much their daughters, nieces, next door neighbors, teachers with their school children whoever it is I hope that's all like a chain reaction of them seeing it because I think as much as it's fun to see people on tv to see them competing on like an international stage is massive and I know I said earlier about say that opening game against you guys and how emotional it make me but also for if you're younger you're just going to see all the people that you think are unreal lining up in a massive stadium like opening an event like a world cup I mean that's that's pretty cool like that's pretty insane and I'm sure from everything I've seen Australia are going to put on and New Zealand an amazing tournament and it's going to have all the fireworks and the fun and it'll be great so that's kind of what I hope will come from this and I just hope that we're able to keep the momentum going at the other side um like I concentrate a lot on soccer just because I mean I kind of fell into it by accident when I used to work with ESPN and it's always been my thing but my thing has always just been like getting women and girls in sport I don't care what sport you're playing it could be tiddlywinks to be honest just so long as you feel like that you're playing something that you're enjoying and that you feel you have your space for you there um and our football team has done an incredible job over the last few years you know when they did that strike in 2017 it was a real watershed moment and they're probably the only team or sport in the country that's actually managed to strike and get what they needed. I mean, we just had our Gaelic and Camogie players this week who are inter-county. They play for their counties. They play at the highest level. They've just announced yesterday that they're going, uh, they're playing under protest for the rest of the 
season and could start protesting as soon as this weekend because they don't get the same money or mileage or some of them don't even get jerseys to play in. They have to buy their own jerseys, even though they're playing at the elite level of their sport. So for me, having a team be successful in something like the World Cup, it just proves even more that it doesn't matter what sport you're playing. It doesn't matter what level you're playing. Look at how amazing it could be. Look at if you give it a bit of time and attention, look at what it could do. So, yeah, sorry, that was a bit of a rambling answer, but that, that's what I think. <laughs> I loved it. It was um, a very good ramble. <laughs> no, I was saying because I started getting emotional also thinking about the little Irish children and what this is going to do because that's what it Three is Irish children just, but like it's you know we could substitute any sort of nationality in there and it's like yeah like yeah the kids not to you know infantilize or whatever the the game or whatever but it, it really is a big deal um I just wanted to ask bringing it back to our game our opening game on July 20 I think the four of us in particular, obviously, we speak about the Matildas basically week in, week out, every day, all the time. We get almost lost in our own kind of source, for lack of a better word. So I really am keen on the – don't laugh at me, Sam. I'm really keen on the Irish perspective of the Matildas and, like, what you guys are expecting from us, not just for that opening game but for the tournament as a whole. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I know you listened to the podcast that we did. And that's the thing we kind of like go back and forward on it so much because we do have that game, even though it was like two years ago now in our heads. So we're like, well, we did get a result. So that was pretty good. But also when you look at the class of players on your team and it was funny, like I got I think you shared it, Marissa, the podcast and I got like a couple of Australian people being like oh, oh, oh they think we just have some care and oh, they're going to be surprised and I was like no 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 trust me we do not think that we know very well that if we keep Sam care quiet then like Caitlin Ford or like there's plenty of other players on that team who will do something to us um it, a lot of the time it's just if you're trying to hook people in that's kind of the easy way because that's a name that they recognize if they don't follow the sport all that much I think there's a massive appreciation for you guys and like I think especially over the last few years, you know, I've I've said this for a long time that I always thought this Australian team was better than maybe they were performing for a little while. And I really felt that like Tony Gustafsson in the last while has got you guys purring. And I was like, why are you doing this now, Tony? Why are you doing this now? You could wait until August, could you? Uh, and you were kind of, it was weird because it was almost like our trajectories were almost kind of similar in terms of actually having knowing you had really good players but getting them to click and like playing them in a system that suits them and I've really seen that from Australia in recent times um so yeah I think if you were to ask for the general opinion of say a lot of Irish people they probably will look at the big names in the squad and be like oh those are scary names but maybe we can take them whereas I would be more of the opinion that I would be happy with a draw against you guys. Um, I think you probably will win that opening game, especially just with the mentality of going into it and being a home World Cup. And, you know, it's a it's a big moment for you guys as much as a big moment for us. And you probably have more players that are accustomed to playing in those sort of atmospheres. I know, like, it, it's still a lot of people, but closer to that sort of um, population. But, yeah. That would be my assessment, I think. 
I think I was the and also I said that was it the Olympics I said you guys were gonna do something and then you didn't so I was like maybe I am cursing you guys ahead of time but yeah I I I think people here should probably be a little bit more fearful than they currently are of this Australian team and I'm not playing to my audience I love that for us even if you were we would take it to be honest <laughs> that's right she's flattering us we love her let's have her back tell us we're great please maybe we'll have to drag you in during one of our daily pods in the build-up to the world cup and be like yes you ready you ready you ready oh i will fully be dragging so like you guys are to play great so we can just swap handshaking we love to see it um any final questions? Because I realise we have kept you for a lot longer than we said we were going to. I'm sorry. Uh, who's your tip to score Ireland's first goal? Because it's going to be, like, massive. Oh, that's a tough one. Like I said before, we're still not all that great at scoring goals. It's still all there. I would love it to be Leanne Kiernan just because of everything that she has gone through. Um, But I'd say it's probably more likely... McCabe or maybe Carissa. And what happens first in this World Cup? Ireland score or Katie McCabe gets a yellow card? Katie gets a yellow card. <laughs> it's not even really a question, is it? <laughs> if if this was a betting market. Like I kind of have getting like banned or anything during the tournament, so yeah. <laughs> that would not be ideal. Right. And what's Catherine? What's your final tip? Who who do you think is going to win the World Cup? This is like this sounds really stupid, but I've been so focused on Ireland that I kind of forget that the World Cup goes on past the group stages because I've just been like, we have to get through the group <laughs> stages. That is all I care about. Um, I I actually I find it really hard to work out because there are so many decent teams in it this season. Um, this season this year. Uh. I think I wouldn't rule out Germany or, I mean, you can never really rule out the States, but they also have kind of a lot of injuries and Anonofsky has been in a weird way in terms of how he's approached the build-up to the scene. But I also just feel like they're a big tournament team and they turn up the heat when they want. Although that mm-hmm. ads that they put out, ridiculous, ridiculous. So American though. Like I'd have been disappointed so if they did anything anything less extra like uh, i write it to be honest yeah. like, just lean into who you that are. is very yeah. it was <laughs> i personally did not care for it but that's not like here nor there anyway that's we will leave it there's just that. so, so many cultural all... stereotypes that was my thing I was oh, like, it was they people. can't do australian accents oh they really can't <laughs> they're so bad at it it's, they can't do Irish yeah. accents either. They've been trying in movies for years, but it just doesn't happen. <laughs> we will join forces against their terrible accents. But first of all, thank you so much for jumping on, Kathleen. Where can people find your stuff during the World Cup? Um, so we will be at the Koi Gig Pod on Twitter. We will have all the updates for Ireland if people are looking for team news uh, for the Australia game or any other thing. We will be posting all of it there. We also, the Koi Gig Pod is anywhere you normally get your podcasts. You will be able to find us. And yeah, that's kind of where we'll get most of my information and me probably putting up videos of me crying or something at the, the first game. 
just imagine I like work with all men and they'll just be like Kathleen could you like control yourself please and I'll be like no this this is my moment this is my world cup <laughs> if there's one place to be an emotional woman it's genuinely yeah. the women's world cup <laughs> exactly it's perfect <laughs> ours <laughs> thank you so much for jumping on we can't wait to chat to you during the world cup and it's going to be fun bring on July 20th yeah I can't wait it's going to be good Thank you again and thank you for listening. Like we said, this is the beginning of Preview Pods. We still have two more Group B opponents to talk about. We've got the rest of the groups to talk about, so there is so much good stuff coming your way. As always, we're over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the usual pod spots. If you like what we do, subscribe, leave a review. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, see you.